Toes in the Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi. And today I'm bringing my man straight out the bottom of the map or the northwestern part of his map down in Texas. From Texas Tech, I'm bringing you Jason Wooding. Jason, thanks for coming on today, baby. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about knowing your athletes from the ground up, everything. We're going to talk about assessing your athletes and building those personal relationships with your athletes uh, just so you can become a better coach and a better person overall. So, Jason, what's up, baby? My dude, I appreciate you. First, I want to commend you for this podcast, man. Appreciate uh, it, man. You sitting back talking, but it's a lot of work behind the scenes that goes into this stuff, man, for real. So, uh, Jason Wooding, I'm from uh, Langley Park, Maryland, which is located in PG County. Uh, if anybody knows anything about PG County, we're big on uh, fashion and hoops, man. You know, the, the kick game is essential, and you got to be able to play basketball growing up. That's, that's, that's vital. From a single-parent home, father left when I was young. Uh, youngest of five. So I have three brothers, one sister, and we're all kind of like three years apart, like they're three years older than each other. And um, it was a super competitive household growing up, man. So, you know, being the youngest, I'm tagging along with my older brothers, whether it's football, basketball, uh, boxing, wrestling, soccer, like whatever that may be. And, you know, I never got a chance to really thank them, man, but they kind of instilled that grit and toughness in me from a young age because I was always playing up with the older guys so the guys my age were kind of no competition for me. So hmm. looking back, I thank them for that. And, um, you know, getting started with lifting weights and things like that. It's funny, man. I used to watch Strongman, like the, I think Pujanowski was the guy at the time. And it amazed me somebody could get that big and be that lean and vascular looking. So I used that as motivation. And then me wrestling with the older brothers, that was my barometer for success. So at first, you know, I'm getting slammed left and right. They're doing me dirty. But uh, as I began to, you know, work out with weights, I start to close that gap. Then, uh, you know, I finally arrived at a certain age. Like, once I got stronger, I started, my frame started to fill out, then I arrived. But um, on another note, you know, growing up, you know, I made a lot of mistakes over the years. But uh, I think the turning point in my life, man, I was 13 years old. And uh, I got caught up with the wrong group of guys, you know, wrong place, wrong time. And I was facing three felony charges at 13, man. And that kind of weighed heavy on me because, Shit. you know, at that age, you know, trial is until a couple months anyway. So mm -hmm. I'm going day to day, not knowing what's, what my future's going to look like. Cause if, if I get convicted of that, um, we're not on this podcast here, but I maintained my innocence. I had a good lawyer. And then, um, thankfully I got through that. But you know, ever since then I kind of laser my focus, I closed my circle and um, just moved a lot more cautiously throughout life, man. And I attribute that to all my successes today. Just, Early hardship leads to success later on. And then, that's, uh, going that's, forward, that's crazy, man. School, Go ahead. Yeah, going forward to high school, uh, I started off in Maryland high schools, uh, played football, track. I wanted a hoop. I made a hoop team ninth grade, but, you know, all the old heads tell me, you know, focus on track. It'll get you better for football. So I did that. But uh, I still played, like, little rec league and stuff like that when I could. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I was a uh, running back with safety to start out. Then I moved to running back linebacker as I got older. End up transferring to D.C. schools. And the funny thing with that is, man, you know, people are doing the super team thing now. Like, people have been doing that way back. So I'm like, oh, we've been doing super team. So. Oh, <laughs> was, so you with, all, with all your boys, you know, you want to you win yeah, a championship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we lost in the Turkey Bowl. That's the D.C. championship. We lost wow. to D.C. Woodson. I was, I was a Dunbar guy. So, you know, that, that still hurts me to this day. That's crazy. Who'd you, who'd you guys play in the final? H.D. Woodson. So I don't know if you're familiar with D.C. football, but they had like uh, Tavon uh, Wilson. He played for the Lions and Pats. Okay. Ricardo Young. Uh, a lot of those guys, man. Like 
rich history in football, man. They had a real good team. Huh. Yeah, because I only know about, like, the math of Catholic, really. That's, like, the real big school. I always yeah, hear about like that. That's the WCAC. They got, like, St. John's, the Nathan Good Council. That's where, like, a lot of the high-level guys come from, like, five stars and four okay, stars. Okay, okay. But DCIAA, like, Dunbar, we're, uh, you know, Vernon Devontae Davis from Dunbar. You got, oh, uh, shit, okay. Aurelius Ben, Nate Bussey, those guys. And I played with Dion. He hit the league for a second and then um, didn't last too long. But, yeah, it's a lot of history. Nice, so, man. Like, going forward from there, man. I got a chance to play ball at Howard University. Uh, I was a linebacker, and uh, we had a lot of coaching changes. So I kind of moved to like a short yardage running back. Like one year we ran a triple op. I don't know why we ran that, but I was a, I was a beat back. <laughs> I was a beat back in a triple op. But uh, as I got older, I, was, I played both ways. I played majority linebacker, but I was also like a short yardage fullback running back kind of deal. And, uh, you know, from there, I majored in um, allied health. I got my bachelor's. It took me a little longer than expected, four and a half. You know, I kind of messed off a little bit like my sophomore year. Uh, I remember it was the first game of the season. We were playing Eastern Michigan. Our game got postponed. We were supposed to play Saturday. It was a crazy storm that year. I want to say this is 10 or 11. And then um, we got pushed back to Sunday. So, you know, we're in a hotel, you know, eating bad and doing whatever we're doing. And, then, man, first kickoff of the game, boom, pop, tear my hamstring. Oh. Right? So um, that year uh, I kind of started slacking off in school because – at that point, all I'm doing is rehab and lifting. Like, I'm not doing anything with the team. Maybe watch a little bit of film, but nothing really. Like, I don't have to go to practice because how, how we did it, like, we'd be inside during practice time mm-hmm. doing our rehab. So, you know, I got caught up and, you know, partying and things like that. And my grades suffered. And it hurt me down the line because when it came time to graduate and I'm, I'm trying to apply to physical therapy school, my core GPA was so low because, you know, an F and an A still is going to average out to a C. So it's hard to bring that stuff up. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, from there, I started working on like entry-level PT clinic stuff, trying to get into PT school. I'm taking my prereqs. I'm trying to build my network, things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I go two years, like, consecutive. Didn't get in. I'm applying. I thought my, my application was good enough. My core GPA was just a little too low. That's what the uh, advisors and admissions kept telling me. So um, by chance, you know, a good friend of mine, Rodney Hill, he became the director of Howard University. So, you no, know, I just reached out. You know, we chopped it up, congratulated him. And he's like, you know, I'm going to come through, stop through, check you out, get a lift in. Okay, I'll do that one day. And he offers <laughs> me uh, to intern for him. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't know much about strength conditioning then. So, you know, I thank him for even getting me started in this profession, man, because I was like, strength coach, like, you know, they only get paid money. Like, I'm not trying to do that. Yeah. So, once he introduced me to it, you know, I, I really found a liking. And um, he's been instrumental in my career ever since. And that, that led me to getting the Mercer grad assistantship where I'm underneath uh, Carl Miller and John Mangle. And, man, you talk about a grad assistantship that just exposes you to, like, very different uh, coaching styles and on-floor experience is dope because it's all-hands-on-deck philosophy. So there's no, oh, a team is training, I'm in the office. Like, if I'm free, I'm on the floor coaching that team. Yeah, and you're in grad school, so you have night classes and things like that. So you know you have those obligations you got to go to. But other than that, man, it was, it, was, it was a great experience for me in grad school. Going to Mercer, I got my master's in um, educational leadership. Okay, there you go. A little bit different. Exactly. So it, was, it was either that or MBA, and I heard MBA was a little tough. So I'm like, man, I'm trying to just get in, get out, get a master's. It's a free master's. I can't say no to it. It was only a year. They accelerated the master's, so only the year then was out. So lucky, lucky ass dude. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
Hey, I wasn't missing those uh those term papers and uh, research papers. I wasn't Hell missing no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, from there I went back home for a few months. I linked with Sean Foster, American, and man, you want to talk about somebody who's high level coaching the Olympic movements? It, it's ridiculous, man. Like almost every team is proficient in the snatch, the clean, the derivatives. Like it's it's impressive to see, man. And you know, I, I poke fun like. There's not many benches in the weight room at all. It's really just, you know, overhead press, all, you know, ground-based movements. And that's really how I kind of refined my coaching in the Olympic movements there because he's the best I've seen do it, honestly, man. Yeah. So I, did, I did a few months there. And then from there, I go to University of Houston. I link with uh, Alan Bishop. So, uh, man, he's probably the best guy I've seen just dealing with people and networking like ever, man. Like, if you see the amount of time this dude spends – answering phone calls, texts, emails, uh, facility tours. It's ridiculous, man. And he keeps that same energy with every single coach, whether you're NAIA or NBA, man. It, it was dope to see, and I learned a lot about, the, you know, the nutritional <clears throat> side and, and the organization and training. And that was my first exposure to really high, high-level athletes because, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm FCS football, FCS football, American is no football, Patriot League, and then I'm going to uh, the American Conference, which is – Houston's a pretty predominant, you know, pretty elite basketball team as of recent. So I did my time there. It was a great experience. We went undefeated, like started off like 18-0, something crazy. But unfortunately, I had to leave midseason because I got the Texas Tech call, and I couldn't turn it down, man, because that was my passion, always to work with football. So uh, now I'm here with uh, Dave Shows, and, man, this is probably the smartest <laughs> dude I've ever been around, man. Like, the amount of the amount of books and research this guy reads and his level, his knowledge of anatomy and the human body and nutrition is second to none. And the organizational piece as well is different. And Bishop came up underneath show. So there was a lot of familiar ties there. I love that story, man. That's like some from the bottom type of shit, man. It's just dope. Hunger for more drive, man. So, but that's good. Now you're at tech, you're on, you know, the, uh, the Western panhandle of Texas, man. How's the, how's life treating you out there, man? It's different, man. You know, I first got here, it was different because, like, being in Houston, that's a big city. You know, I'm from Maryland, D.C., a big city. So Macon and Lubbock are similar in ways to me as far as, like, the landscape and things to do. But mm -hmm. I would say as a city and town, it does grow on you, man, because, I mean, there's good food here. The tech fan base is unreal, man. Like, oh, yeah. Worship tech out here because that's really the biggest school. Really, it's, it's really the only school out here. You got other community college and, like, you know, D2s and stuff, but this is the predominant university <clears throat> in West Texas. So the love and support is crazy, man. You know, the, the staff is great. The facilities are, are top notch. So, you know, I'm, I'm loving it here so far, man. I'm about a year and a year and a half in right now. I started in January of 19. Yeah. yeah I'm loving it, man. Nah, that's cool, man. Two, uh, two of my buddies live out there. I'm gonna shout them out, man. Josh and uh, Blake and my boy, Josh, man, he's a heavy Texas tech fan. He might be drooling all over this podcast when I put this thing up. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, but let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about your current role down there, man. So what are some things you're doing uh, at tech? What are some things you've done at Houston uh, in your career and, you know, how you kind of model your uh, program and your assessments uh, with your athletes? I'm an associate strength and conditioning coach. I'm in charge of the FRC implementation. I also work with school athletes and a little bit of return to play stuff like as far as weight room base when uh for like the long term injury guys who are going to be out for the foreseeable future so i do a lot of that okay. Houston, uh i was just really just in this in this in an assistant role just backing up bishop whatever he needed you know taking guys through workouts and helping with nutrition a lot and things like that because <clears> he, <throat> he is the nutritionist there as well so he does both at yeah. university of houston technically 
And um, so just looking into the assessment process, you know, when guys first come in, you know, we take them through a full joint assessment. We're going to assess the uh, internal external rotation of the shoulder, same thing of the hip. Uh, we'll look at how the spine moves. And with the assessment, right, a lot of it's also, you know, the warm-up is the assessment. So as you see a guy, you know, doing a squat or doing certain movements in the warm-up, you can kind of put two and two together. Like, okay, he's having trouble getting the knee over the toe. His ankle dorsiflexion may be limited or his chest is collapsing. He might have some uh, T-spine issues, getting into extension, things like that. So, I mean, we measure everything as far as from a joint range of motion standpoint. And mm -hmm. we take videos of a lot of stuff too because – you know, it's, it's hard to just look at it with your eye and then remember three months later, like, hey, what was that guy at? So yeah. that's tough. So that's why we record and assess everything. And like every three months, we're always just reassessing and, you know, just trying to improve the joints and um, trying to clean up faulty movement patterns, man. That's a lot of things you see with these guys. So one thing I look at is uh, starting with the feet, right? A lot of guys are wearing, you know, shoes that aren't made for their feet. And it's sad to say a lot of these companies, that's the kind of shoes they make, but their feet are super restricted. You see guys take their shoes off, you know, they have toes overlapping, they have bunions and all kind of stuff. So that's one thing to help clear up some uh, movement deficiencies because, you know, if your feet aren't functional, it's not as easy to apply force to the ground and change direction and balance and things like that. So, you know, toe spreaders, uh, barefoot warm-ups, things like that just help get the foot working. And I hate the term strong feet because how do you measure what are weak and strong feet? So I would just right, say right. functional, you know, so it's tough. You know, going from there, how we utilize the FRC in, the, uh, in our programming, man, it's, uh, it's been instrumental in just increasing the mobility of our guys, man. So we, we included as supersets. Uh, once the guys grade out as far as their, you know, their hip internal, shoulder internal, they're broken off into groups. So, you know, if you're a bad hip internal guy, you have a session, like a Ken stretch or FRC mobility type session dedicated to improving your joint mobility for hip internal rotation. And we break up the groups like that. So everything is super individualized, man. And we, we just get a lot of, a lot of feedback and back and forth from the guys. Like, how does this feel? How does that feel? And, uh, successful joint improvements, man. Like the pictures speak for themselves. Yeah. And uh, I'll say the lifting ties into FRC so well, because everything we do is from a full range of motion. So the FRC is basically just backing up the training and the training backs up the FRC. So, they kind of play hand in hand with each other when you think of, you know, developing robust and more injury free or, you know, stronger athletes. Now, I, I love the FRC, man. I actually got uh, my cert in it earlier this year, back in February. I found so much value in it because, you know, they talk a lot about the internal resistance from within. And, you know, a lot of people are just so caught up in how much can we put on the bar? How much can we move? you know, push, pull with a hinge, whatever the case is. And they forget like, hey, you can simply just generate this force inside. If you do some certain stuff like the 90, 90, if you do that correctly with the hip, you know, exactly. Um, yeah. I found a ton of value with that, you know, especially with my track athletes or, you know, like you said, the injured kids who they're probably not ready to touch a bar or a dumbbell yet. They can do some of this stuff and they'll, you know, find gains uh, along the way. But I wanted to talk about the feet real quick. Cause you mentioned, you know, taking the shoes off and, you know, you seeing the toes for what they are. And that's interesting because I feel like a lot of people neglect the foot um, when they consider training programs or just assessments in general. So what are some stuff, if you could just dive in a little bit deeper, if you can, uh, yeah. with, some, with some stuff you look at at the foot, like, are you looking at the arch? Are you looking at the, uh, you know, the dorsiflexion angles? Like, what are you guys really looking for? Yeah. So when, when examining the foot first, you're going to look at, um, you know, big toe extension. That's vital for pushing off and 
transmitting force through the ground and being efficient, uh, the overlapping toes and things of that nature, that just shows you that the foot is not functional. So first you want to try to make a functional foot. And so you do that through the barefoot work, the use of toe spreaders. Um, you could go deeper into like the individual trying to, you know, pails of the individual toes. That's a lot harder for a lot of guys. And that's yeah, the, that's tough. Yeah, because a lot of guys can't control toes individually. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But what we try to do, you try to control the big toe separate of the small four and then the small four separate of the big toe. And that way you get more control of your actual foot functioning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's vital for us, man. And a lot of guys, I feel like a lot of guys neglect it because it's, it's not common. It's a lot of people aren't really looking at the body from a holistic standpoint. So looking at the foot might be a little bit, uh, it might be a little too much or, you know, that's the athletic trainer's job. That's not my job. But I feel like, you know, if we want to improve sports performance, man, we got to look at it from every angle, every aspect that we can. Yeah. And like, if you improve something, you know, why not? Why not try to improve it? Why not? Mm-hmm. What do, you, do you guys look at anything with like the arch of the foot? See, when looking at that, I think it, it's an issue of footwear as well, right? So you get guys moving in natural habitat and they start, you know, striking on the more of the ball of their feet and, you know, better gait patterns. I think you can kind of clean up a little bit of that stuff. But, I mean, that, that stuff is tough to do because that's kind of like orthopedic issues that, you know, it kind of is what it is, right? So we look at, you know, pronation, supination, things of that nature. When mm-hmm. you look at, like, the, the correcting the arch, that's a little tougher, honestly. How do you guys increase some of your stiffer athletes? You have a lineman that has a lot of bulk. Uh, so a lineman might be a little more hindered when it comes to, you know, increasing dorsiflexion of the ankle or shoulder mobility. So what are, so do you have like any norms, like numbers you guys uh, stick to like guidelines or uh, uh, just use individual baselines? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you optimal hip internal range of motion. So our, our main um, performance indicators would be shoulder internal rotation and hip internal rotation. And why okay. we look at the hip so much internal because uh, studies show when you lack optimal hip internal rotation, your chance for injury to the joint below is four times as likely. So if, you're, if your hip can't rotate past 15 degrees, you want to try to get to 35, but if it's under 15, you have increased chance of blowing your knee out or dealing with a lot of hip and lower back issues. So it affects the, you know, the kinetic chain, it's all one piece. So it's going to affect the joint above and below. So we look at that first. That's the most important thing to improve, hip and turn. Okay. We do that with, of course, the pails and rails, the 90-90, uh, the bear sit movements, butterfly movements, a lot of kin stretch type stuff where you're trying to, so, so the pails and rails for people that don't know, the pails and rails is to increase the, the space within the joint to acquire more range. So the, the femur sits in the acetabulum and rotates about, you know, an axis. It's a, it's a ball and socket joint. So you want to increase that component. And then once you increase the space within the joint, now you want to exhibit that through the cars, which are controlled articular rotations which is, you know, moving your joint through its fullest range of motion without compensating with other body parts. And then for the stiffer athletes, man, what I found to be very helpful is uh, extended pauses in disadvantageous positions. So let's say we have a guy, like you said, a, a bigger athlete lineman, you know, locked up ankles, uh, a split squat with the knee over the toe, but he's holding that for an extended, you know, 10, 12 seconds. So it's not, it's not really a strength movement. <clears throat> you might use a little load to treat like loaded stretching but you're not really trying to build strength when you're working that, uh, that mobility aspect. That's more so just individual work and things like that. And same thing with like the upper body, the shoulder flexion, uh, bar hangs are, are essential. Cause a lot of times when people have limited shoulder flexion, it's not always the shoulder joint. Sometimes it's the lats are restricted, which is making it look like their shoulders can't go into full flexion. 
So a lot of that stuff too, you kind of, it's a case by case. You got to kind of ask each athlete because unless there's actually a blockage within the joint, a lot of guys can go in that position because if you take a guy passively and put him in that position, technically he should be able to get there actively. But the brain might not be firing correctly to get there actively. So that's another thing we try to, you know, clean out with a lot of our athletes. Dude, that, I've never heard that hip internal rotation number you said there, less than 15 degrees of motions. That's what you said, right? Less than 15 degrees? Yeah, so less than 15 is a lot more knee and lower back because the kinetic chain is all one. So ideal, try to like get them optimal is 45 degrees. Sufficient wow, is okay. 35 degrees. And you know, okay. you do a lot of guys, man, they might have four degrees. So you got to think about, but athletes are great compensators, right? They're at this level for a reason. They're playing high-level football. You know, they're fast. They can run. They can jump. So they're able to compensate around things. But why not set your athlete up for the best success later to make him more injury, uh, you know, less injury prone and help him just move better. Yeah. Once you move better, you're less injured and you feel better too. So a lot of guys too, touching on that with a lot of the hip impingement stuff, right? So a lot of guys, they complain of, you know, hey coach, my hip flexor is tight. So what we want to do, right? Of course you want to treat the symptom you're presented with, right? So tight hip flexor, you want to get hip flexor, stretch your hip flexors in some capacity. But a, a, a lot of things that people overlook is you got to improve the rotational capacity of the joint. So mm-hmm. when you think of linear, right? Same thing with the ankle. You think limited ankle dorsiflexion? Yes, you work dorsiflexion, but you also want to improve the, the rotational component of the ankle. So that's like the ankle car all the way around, full circle. With the hip will be a, a hip car. Using, this, the, the, using the hip out should be used. Because if the hip only moves front to back, it's more of a knee joint than a hip. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. why improve the rotational component of the joint and it's great that you say this stuff because a lot of people try to improve the muscle quality capacity whatever it is and just you disregard the joint uh, uh, you know that's a lot of stuff i found valuable too with the frc stuff that you know the cars and whatnot definitely and with that um, you get more hypertrophy right so when you're yeah, yeah. that joint stability rotate now you got more hypertrophy in the surrounding uh tissues in that area so that's yeah. another bonus of it a lot more resiliency so your your uh your personal take on this quote right here um, athletes, whether they're high level professional or whatever, are they great performers or are they master compensators? Ah, that's, that's a layered question, man, because <laughs> like I say both, they're definitely great compensators for the most part. Right. Cause I mean, let's be real. Like you think LeBron is, uh, the best moving athlete out there. Like as far as from a joint range of motion, probably not, but I mean, he's the best basketball player walking this planet. So, I mean, yeah. Great compensation. You see him walk. He, he walks, you know, it's a duck-like walk. He's in external rotation, so he probably lacks hip internal rotation if I could just eyeball it. Like, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Same thing with Zion Williamson. Freak athlete, but he lacks hip internal rotation as well by the way he walks and his gait patterning. So definitely great compensators, but of course high-level performance because, I mean, they're still going out there putting the ball in the hoop and running these four threes and jumping 40 inches. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'd say both. That's a layered question, though. I'll say both. All right, let's talk about the collegiate setting. Yep. Do you think in the collegiate setting, doing this type of stuff can make or break, uh, not, not break, can make someone's... Are you saying like improve qualities in the athletic career or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, w- would it improve the quality of their performance in their athletic career? Oh, see, I mean, I think so because I think they all play hand in hand, right? Not to say, you know, mobility and FRC is the end all be all. Of course not, because I still believe, you know, strength training is, is the best injury prevention out there, full range of motion strength training. But when you think about 
how many games these star players lose to injury in college, right? So, like, your high-level players that come in, let's say, you know, three, four-star, but let's say he blows his knee out sophomore year. Yeah. I think about that. Next year, it's a whole rehab process, so he's probably not back to his full self for the next season. He might be back 100% to his senior year. So, you got to think about it. He left a lot of performance on the table there, but if he was mm. injury-free and he's training, so when you're able to train, you're able to get more adaptation, better performance, and then – when you're not injured, you have more film. So when you look at it from that aspect, I mean, I think I would say so. What are your go-to big, you know, bang for your buck movements uh, that you, you know, you would consider, you know, that help and are essential to building, you know, the bulletproof athlete that everyone wants? Ah, that's tough. So let me see. Um, let me just name them, then I'll go into detail. All right. Uh, I'll go front squat. Yep. Uh, for my press, I go standing over at press. I will go RDL for my hinge. I will go neutral grip trend for my upper body pull. Okay. I'll go a single leg squat for my uh, unilateral movement. And then my wild card or whatever, my extra will be of the ground-based movement. So I'll start with the ground-based movement, right? So a lot of times, you know, a lot of programs, I feel like overlook the ground-based movements. But when you think of the crawling, the rocking, the rolling, and just mm, okay. spending more time on the ground, athletes are so uncomfortable in these positions, right? You put an athlete who's a high-level performer, right? He might be, you know, jump out the roof super fast, but you put him in a crawl pattern and you make him stabilize, you know, one, one side at a time, and he's, he's shaking after two yards, after three, three four reps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that, that speaks volumes to not being stable in the shoulder or having, you know, poor coordination and stabilization throughout the core. So I think that's an overlooked movement. Not to say, like, it's, 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 it's vital, but for bulletproofing and increasing the stabilizer strength and getting athletes more comfortable on the ground because – I mean, if you like it or not, you play football, you're going to end up on the ground, you know, more often than not. So uh, okay. that's vital for just exposing your body to different positions and ranges of motion on the ground as well. Okay. Uh, from, I'll go to front squat. So I feel like that's the best bilateral lower body strength movement just for the fact that, you know, I love the back squat. Like, I, I, I love back squat myself. But when a lot of athletes back squat, like we said, they're master compensators, right? So – Instead of building true leg strength, what do you see a lot of athletes do? They get to the hole, and when they come out the bottom, you know, the butt hikes back, the, new, the knees shoot back. So what that's essentially doing is taking the load off the quads and shifting it more to the posterior chain, the lower back, things like that. So, I mean, that boils the question, what are we squatting for? Is it to increase leg strength, or you just want a big squat? Hmm. And if you look at the front squat, you look at the, you know, the wrist extension demands, the thoracic extension you know, the ankle dorsiflexion, the hip internal rotation to really get to that bottom or hold pauses in that bottom position and keep that, that great thoracic extension. I feel like that builds a more resilient athlete. Plus, it works the anterior chain a little more than the back squat as well. So that's yeah. why I would choose front squat. Awesome. Uh, with the RDL, I mean, I love the deadlift as well. But from a systemic stress standpoint, I wouldn't choose the deadlift because it's just so taxing, man. Like, especially if you're a, a strong guy on the deadlift. I mean, you know how it is. You deadlift one time, you might be shot for a few days. You're done. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with the RDL, man, I feel like just bulletproofing that posterior chain because we all know the uh, the role the hamstrings and the posterior chain play in, you know, sprint and jump performance. So I feel like that's the best hip hinge movement that I like to utilize versus the deadlifts. Because like, and deadlift isn't a true. It's more of a it's a hinge and it's a squatty type pattern both, but it's just so taxing on the nervous system. I would choose the RDL over it. Awesome, man. I like that answer. Yeah, so with the over air press, man, I'm big. Uh, I did a few consults with a, a great therapist, strength coach, Rob Panarello, and uh, he brought up a point to me. 
you got to have freedom of the scapula, man. So, you know, a lot of guys, even though they love the bench and the incline, but the scaps are locked in place. So you see a lot of shoulder dysfunction, a lot of shoulder injuries. The bench is overused. I would say the bench is a better mass builder, but okay. Okay. the overhead press, I've never seen a great overhead presser who can't bench press good weight, but I've seen a lot of the opposite. Great benches with a terrible overhead press. Yeah, so exactly. Overhead yeah. Press, shoulder health and, you know, like I said, you use, you're standing on your feet, you're using your full body, your quads, your engaged, your glutes, total body, everything, man. Um, for the chin-up, you know, I view the chin-up, I would go neutral grip just to save the wrist with a lot of these athletes just because of the nature of the beast, the game. Uh-huh. I view it as the upper body squat because it's the largest range of motion you can get through an upper body pull out of any other movement out there. So you're going to pack on functional mass on the lats, the rhomboids, the traps, biceps, for everything, man. So, And I feel like that's the strength you need when you're playing sport because it, like, football is a lot of, you know, a lot of push and pull and in the trenches, a lot of wrestling type of uh, yeah. action. You have a strong back. I mean, that's strong arms and strong back are vital for, you know, tackling and, you know, jostling for position and all those kind of things. It's vital, along with leg strength, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, single leg squat. I would say every athlete, every field sport athlete needs single leg work, right? So, I mean, I mean, if you choose a lunge or whatever, like there's nothing wrong with it, but I just choose a single leg squat because the same way, I, same reason I chose the chin up, you're moving through a fullest range of motion. So just, you know, probably off a box, squat all the way down, knee over the toe, good dorsiflexion. You're building stabilization. You're building coordination. And you're helping an athlete become, like I said, more resilient to injury because now they're strong on one leg. So when they get put in these positions on the field and they're planting off one leg, they feel more comfortable. They're more efficient applying force to the ground and all of those things, man. So yeah. that, that would be my uh, five or six. That would be my six there for bulletproofing the athlete. That's that's awesome. I, I agree with you on you know all six, really five out of six. The one that, the one you caught me off guard with the uh, ground based movement there with the crawling, the rock, and the rolling. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to get into that, I would uh, venture looking to uh, Tim Anderson of Original Strength. He has a lot of great content. I got exposed to that when I was still like you know pursuing physical therapy. Uh, we brought him in for like a, a certification, like a two day certification, and man, it, it was a uh, it was mind blowing. Like how you felt after too, man. You felt amazing after all the rocking and, and rolling and crawling. Like I advise anybody to go check out his books or his website or YouTube, anything like that. You can learn a lot of good stuff off of that original strength. So, all right, coach, you do your assessment. You get these kids, you know, you know what their uh, ankles look like, what their shoulders are telling you, what their hips are telling you. Now, how do you create that athlete buy-in with all that information on how you guys develop your programs. Cause I know a lot of kids coming out of high school into the college setting. They just want to put some weight on the fucking bar and go, how do you guys, you know, bring them to the yellow light, hold them at the red light and talk to them again before showing them what the green light looked like. Yeah, definitely. No. So it's, it's tougher. You know, some athletes are more, you know, alpha, some athletes are not. So, you know, with the alphas, it's a little tougher to, you know, keep, keep the dogs held back. So, I mean, first thing you gotta be, you got to over-communicate initially, right? So whatever it is, we're going to emphasize, you know, range of motion first, strength, the strength improvements will come. If you can move through a fuller range, you're going to get more hypertrophy, more strength benefits from the uh, barbell movements you're doing anyway. So that's one, over-communicate. And then I would say you got to be authentic and believable, man. So if you're not authentic to the kids, they're kind of not, they're not really hearing what you're saying, man. So you got to be an authentic guy coming across to them. You can't be, you know, too preachy. You got to like always give the why behind what they're doing. Because I would hate for a kid to go through, you know, a four-week block 
And coach, like, why the hell was I just doing uh, whatever, inverted road speed for weeks? Like, what was that even doing for me? Like, nobody ever told me. So you would hate for that to be the case. You got to over-communicate the why and just keep reinforcing that, man, until till they're blue in the face. As long as they keep asking, keep reinforcing. And uh, I feel like that, that's essential. Um, skin in the game helps, I would say, but that isn't everything. You know, you have a lot of guys that would challenge you, right? Not anything, like, malicious or, or, or you know, violent, but, you know, like, you can't do it. Like, why are you making me do it? So if you're a 150 pound guy, like you know, it, it might be a little tough for you creating buy-in. It's in, 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 in some different environments. You got these guys that challenge you with certain things, and you gotta be able to back up your talk sometimes. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like that's vital for just creating buy-in, for what you do in the weight room, and then of course running a good program helps, and winning games helps everything. Of course, you win. I mean, everybody's happy. Everybody's smiling. So that that's the end-all, be-all of that. Developing those athlete relationships, Jay. Like, how do you go from we're doing this? And, you know, in the weight room or whatever the case is to, you know, the culture is what it is. The message comes from the top down. But you personally, you human to human, how do you make that connection with your kids? So, I mean, that, I think that's the most important part of the stuff we do here, man. Because like we said, like, I don't, I don't take this platform we have here lightly, man. It's, it's bigger than just the weight room and sets and reps. Like, you know, like me being an African-American strength coach, young black males dominate football. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the greatest predictor of athletic success is income level. It's, it's a sad reality. So the worse off you are financially growing up, the more chance you have to go D1 and go pro. That's what the study said. So when, what comes with that, though, right, you have the quote-unquote, you know, broken homes, dysfunctional families, the single-parent household. So a lot of these guys are missing, you know, a father figure or a positive male figure. So – my role in that is not to be a, a, a mentor, like to be more of a mentor, not to be a father figure. I'm not saying that, of course, but to be a positive male role model in their life, especially because I look like these guys, they can relate to me easy. And, you know, we've been through a lot of the same things growing up and I could, I could reach them on their level with a lot of things. And uh, just development outside of football. So, I mean, I take pride in, you know, when it's time to eat, I'm sitting down chopping up with guys because, you know, just getting to know them because, I feel like it helps, man. If you know, if you know a guy's high school and a little bit about his upbringing and his family, this and that, like, okay, now you you can connect to him better, right? So now you're in a weight room. You might throw out like, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm an East Coast guy. I knew nothing of Texas football before I got here, but I yeah. kind of started researching like, hey, who's the predominant schools? You know, North Shore. You got Lamar. You got uh, Duncan. All these schools. So now I can kind of jump in these conversations as well when he's talking high school football. Yeah, I don't know a lot, but I know a little bit. I can you know pop my talk off a little bit and you know get him the guy's skin. So. All that stuff is vital, and I like outside of football, man. So a lot of these, a lot of these young dudes, they don't know what they want to do after football. You ask them, like, what's next? If, if you were to lose everything tomorrow, what do you do next? Man, guys are scratching their head. They don't know. Hmm. So I feel like why that's so important is even if you make it pro, right, football is such a small window of your life. you got to set yourself up for success for life after football. So, you know, I pursue guys, you know, connect with other people on campus. Cause you know, when we were in college, I was super closed off, man. I stuck with the football players and that's just how we rolled. But I try to encourage these guys, you know, branch out, you know, engineering, business, communications, whatever it is, and then use your resources, man. You have everybody here to help you at this time. So like use your resources, man. Use your academic advisors, use your, your career counselors, man. Use your speech coaches. That's another thing too. A lot of these guys are uncomfortable speaking in public or having to present something. So, man, utilize the speech coaches. Mm-hmm. I did it at one point in college because 
I still talk fast, but that was one thing, like, just being an East Coast guy. You know, everything is fast, so you're just moving. Yeah. And uh, I had to slow my speech down because people would be like, what did you just say? But when I talk to my friends, that's how we all talk. So that's just what it is. I'm used to talking that way. So that's still a habit I got to get out of. But I saw a speech coach in college just to help slow down the dialect and, you know, clear up words and things of that nature because it's effective communication is vital, man. They say, what do they say? Your, your network is your net worth. Yes. All right, Jay. So, you know, you coming up from how you grew up, you become a strength coach. You always hear people say, hey, you don't get into coaching for the money. And it kind of sucks because there's people who make a lot of money and some people who have to work their way to get to that money. So what's your thought on that being a, you know, African-American man coming out of uh, PG County and, you know, getting to where you're at now in life? So the money is not everything, man. I understand the premise and the, and the basis of the, the statement, but I hate hearing it, man, because it's true money isn't everything, right? You need education, uh, people, experience, things of that nature. But to say money isn't everything is a lie, man, because you need money for everything. Right. If you want a nice house, you want a nice car, you know, depending on the chick you got, you know, the Louis bags and Gucci bags aren't cheap. So <laughs> <laughs> you, need it for, you need it for everything. So I hate that term. And another thing we do is in this profession, which I hate, that's essentially putting yourself in a box, right? Because I don't hear doctors and lawyers say money isn't everything. They're cashing mm-hmm. checks to the max. So when you hear a strength coach say it, if I'm a hiring manager or a boss and you tell me money isn't everything, why would I pay you what you're worth? Why wouldn't I just lowball you? Because you obviously don't care about the money. So I would lowball you, correct? So that's why I kind of just hate hearing that term, man, because it puts you in a box and it's, it's a lie. Like you get in this stuff, like, of course, you're not going to make money when you first get in. Of course not. But that's the end goal. Financial freedom, power, all that is the end goal to be able to take care of your family, help people in need, give back, donate, all that stuff, man. And you can't, you can donate time, true, but donating money and, and material things help as well in certain instances. So. Yeah, that's just a term. I, I had to get it off my chest. I hate hearing that. Nah, I love it. And it's funny you, you, you know, wanted to bring that up today because I actually spoke to a college class yesterday, like I told you earlier, and I was telling them, hey, when people tell you you don't get into coaching for the money, that's bullshit because, like I said, there's money to be made, whether you're you know, coaching and then you know, I, I'm doing this podcast to hopefully stream a little bit of passive income um, you know, in the future and whatnot. So there's always money to be made. And like you said, you know, people can lowball you. And it's like, that, that might just, that might not just be the place to coach for you at that time, you know. And right, and your business boy work now too because you're not getting compensated how you think you should. Thinking out the it's like you're turning up left and right. You're just an angry, angry guy. So I mean, nobody wants that. Yeah, exactly. And you know, just to bounce back into the relationship thing. I mean, for what people don't know, I mean, strength coaches, man, we're, we're the culture cultivators. We're the relationship builders. We we see the kids more than the coaches themselves. I mean, we see them for about what, seven months full time before we hand it back to a coach and say, Hey, here's your team. You know, exactly. And day in, day out. I believe the strength coach should be worth a little bit more than, uh, some, uh, assistant coaches out there, you know, <laughs> I, can, I can agree. It, it, it might never happen. I can agree. I can agree. It, it might never happen because of the way, uh, you know, things are in, the, in this world, but hopefully one day, hopefully, you know, you and I can lead that charge. But, uh, Listen, man, uh, Jay, love having you on today. Great conversation, an incredible fucking point you touched on. If anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to uh, get in contact with you, brother? Uh, I would say by email or by Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is uh, Coach underscore Wooding, W-O-O-D-I-N-G. And if anybody wants to email me, I mean, the email is my first name, dot last name, 
at uh, ttu.edu. Anyone wants to email me or shoot any questions to me, anything like that. So, yeah, that's the easiest way, man. I appreciate you, my dude, having me on, man. No, it was great, man. I, lo- I love bringing guys like you on, man. Just, just authentic with it, man. Just, you know, being real, speaking from the heart and whatnot, just, you know, being yourself. That, that's some good shit. But I got to ask you one question before I let you go, man. Yeah. This is the, this, this, the, this is my wild card, you know? If you weren't coaching, what other career would you be in? Wow. That's, oh, so I forgot to mention this. A funny story is, okay, when I'm interning with Rodney Hill at Howard, right? Um, before I got the GA at Mercer, I had just got accepted into nursing school. I was about to be a nurse. A lot of people know that. Yeah. I got accepted, but it, I was weighing my options. Like, okay, I can start this in January, but I would have to pay for nursing school. I was like, man, I don't want to be in debt. So why not just take this free masters and, and then we'll, we'll work it out from there. So I, I'll say I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be a nursing right now, man. That's my mother's into it. My brother's a nurse. There's a lot of people in the family. So yeah, I'll be doing that, honestly, man. That's awesome, man. And hey, man, big ups to, you know, your family being nurses, you know, with the stuff that's going on today, you know, in hospitals and, you know, around the globe with the COVID and shit like that. But uh, and a nurse, huh? That's, 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 out, that's out there, man. It's different. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like the, I, like, I like the balance they have, man. You know, you work four days, you chill in three days. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, cool. Work Monday, you got off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe work Friday again. You know, that's, they got, they got, they, they got the, uh, the firefighter shifts. Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's good for them, man. Good for them. But listen, yeah. Jay, loved it, man. Great stuff. Thanks for coming on and uh, appreciate all the information, uh, brother. Any last words for the crowd? Man, for the young coaches out there, just keep your head down. Keep working, man. Like everybody has their own race, their own pace. They do things, man. If it doesn't happen for you as soon as you want, don't get discouraged, man. Just keep working and diversify your skill set as much as possible as a young guy, man. So, you know, learn the GPS. Learn the Excel, learn the graphics behind it, because like you never know when you're gonna get that call and what that team or coach may need. So it's better off you just well versed in every aspect, so you know you increase your value to an organization. <laughs>